And amen, and good morning. It's great to see you. Uh, great to be able to see you. I, uh, I appreciate uh, my brother uh, Richard and my brother Travis for uh, preaching the last couple weeks while I was recovering from a very mild, thankfully, a very mild case of COVID-19. I am back in fighting shape, feeling great, uh, like so many, the overwhelming majority of the people who come down with this. Uh, we walk through it and come back just fine. And so grateful to God for that. Grateful to be with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can open them with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to continue this series that we've cleverly named 1 Peter. That's what we're studying uh, here for the next few weeks as we move forward together. As we continue in this series of 1 Peter, uh, we're going to talk today about the bottom line. Uh, this is a part of life that all of us uh, look for. And we want to wade through everything that's been said and just kind of get to the crux of matters. I was uh, uh, yesterday out, uh, out and about in our, our fine town uh, getting my car repaired. I had received a notice in the mail that there was a recall on my particular vehicle. And uh, so uh, I, I uh, uh, took the time to set up an appointment at the uh, dealership where my vehicle originally came from, I guess. Uh, I bought it used. I've never had a car uh, this young. Uh, it actually has some warranty time left on it, and so I thought I'd kill a couple birds, one rock, and and I took it in there to have this recall done and and get some of the uh, the warranty parts uh, checked up on before the warranty runs out. Uh, guess what? Uh, those there looking at my car found other things that needed to be fixed. It's the first time that any mechanic has ever ever found anything apart from what the initial intent was uh, for the visit, uh, found anything that could be uh, repaired. And um, so, so I was grateful. Uh, they told me that my tires needed replacing. They quoted me a price. I said, no, thanks. We'll get those cheaper somewhere else. Uh, but they told me about some, some filters, uh, cabin filters and things like that. And um, I, I just gave them the go ahead on that. And so I got there uh, after we were done, after I gave them the go ahead on, on, uh, on, on the phone and, and they handed me one of these. Anybody ever got one of these? It's a bill. And on this bill, there's all this information as to what, uh, you know, is, is being done or could have been done with your car. Uh, and then uh, other things that kind of culminate with this last page, which is the page that you sign on. It's the page that uh, completes the contract. I agree to have you make uh, these things whole in my uh, uh, car and, and I'll pay you the price that it is for those things to be done. A little bit later that day, I went to another place and I had uh, my tires done. I got another one of those contracts right here. And once again, uh, in both of these cases, there's lots of details and stuff like that. But you know what I flipped to immediately? The bottom line. What does it cost? What will I receive from you in this contract? Yeah, uh, most inter inter human interactions kind of culminate in this way. Um, people tend to ramble. I've, I've heard that uh, some preachers do that. Of course, I don't. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure none of you are going to be wondering here in the next few minutes if I'm going to arrive at some point. You're just going to listen attentively. And uh, It's our, our human nature to be, come on, come on, come on, come uh, on. Get to the point. Well, what's the bottom line? Uh, in my experience from reading the Bible, uh, it often flows in much the same way. It's its authors paint the pictures uh, that they want to paint for us in so many words, but then uh, they come to some conclusions and they congeal and condense their messages in such a way that the few things that we need to remember moving forward can be kind of bubbled up to the top. And that's what we're going to see Peter do for us today in this third chapter. 
Uh, this indeed is a bottom line servant. If you haven't been picking up what Peter's been saying in the last few, you know, four or five weeks, he's going to bring it all together in the verses that we read to get it today. Uh, I'd like to say this just from my heart. Um, the points that Pete's going to make uh, in his talking to us today are crucial in every phase of life for those who follow Christ, but they're even more important in days like we're walking through right now. Um, throughout history, as, as challenges and, and persecutions uh, have arisen uh, from the outside against the church, as, as things have gotten tough in life, um, uh, these bottom line ideas are the things that uh, churches have needed to, to face what's going on in their world today. Um, we who follow Jesus in this age, uh, in this era, we need these reminders, just like Peter uh, needed to give them to the churches in Asia Minor, who were his original re- recipients uh, of his letter. So let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, and read from him uh, his bottom line. Uh, you'll see that the verse starts with this word, finally. Uh, it's the Greek word telos, uh, and it's actual or most common rendering in English is end. It's like Peter starts his sentence with like end. In context, we you know, translate it finally. Uh, but he says this, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. That, that finally is there because uh, he, he started his whole diatribe, the things that he's been talking about, uh, by opening with these verses uh, in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. We talked about them I think five weeks ago, he, he said this as he writes to his friends in Asia Minor. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and as exiles, uh, as citizens not of this world. If we are in Christ, we are citizens of heaven, but we live here for the time being. He says, listen, I want you to abstain. This is his first imperative. I want you to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against your soul. Now, there's these uh, worldly uh, uh, temptations, these, these inner appetites that keep pulling us away from what God has saved us uh, to and, and, and dragging us back to what he's saved us from. Peter says, hey, man, get rid of the flesh. It wars against your soul. And in verse 12, he says this, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. His second imperative is this, do righteous things, live righteously, keep your conduct among the Gentiles specifically, those who don't yet know Jesus, keep your conduct amongst the world honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. This is a a verse reminding us that uh, we need to live in such a way that our actions accompanied by our words, our our expressing of the gospel, that our actions back up our gospel and that they lead those who would malign us, those who would come against us in the world into faith in Christ with us. And we talked about that when we went through all those verses. Now we spent the last few weeks in 1 Peter walking through some of the specific areas uh, where these mandates are meant to be lived out or where these commands to abstain from the flesh and to keep our conduct honorable are meant to show up. uh, we learned that it applies to our thinkings and our dealings with our government. We talked about that one week. It, it applies to anybody um, that might be a master over us, how we should approach them, even when they're unkind to us. Here, here's how we should uh, look to, to honor uh, those who are in uh, positions of authority over us. It, 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 it certainly pertains to how we walk through suffering, and we talked about that one week. And then Travis, a couple weeks ago, uh, did his first sermon on marriage and just nailed it as he talked about how um, setting aside, abstaining from the flesh, and uh, living life in a righteous way, in a, in a, in a, 
with a conduct that honors God, how that should shape our marriage and how we as husbands and wives should honor each other in that relationship. But here in verse eight, Peter summarizes all of those ideas up by saying, once again, read it with me. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Uh, in the Greek, it's, it's basically just that word, finally, telos, and then uh, all of you, which is the Greek word, pontes. And then it's just five words, uh, five words that we translate, unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, and humble mind. It's very, it's like a list. If Pete were a Texan, he, he would summarize by saying this, all y'all, that's the Texan part, all y'all need to live in a love marked by humble tenderness. Put another way, and for your notes if you're taking them at home, uh, hey church, hey Christians, stay together in humble, tender love. Now, I don't know if you picked it up there, but in those five things that he commends for those who follow Christ, Peter appeals both to the mind and to the heart of his reader. We need to get our minds right in regards to each other, and we need to keep our hearts soft towards each other so that we might live in this love that God has given us uh, uh, to allow us or to enable us to survive anything that this world throws at us. Peter says, have unity of mind and a humble mind. It's the Greek words homophrones and tapenophromes. Phronos is kind of this Greek word that's translated wisdom or, or thinking. Uh, and, and so basically, he's saying have the same thinking or the same mind and have a humble thinking or a humble mind. Peter commands that these two things be present in our brotherly love because he sees the connection between humility and unity. In fact, uh, unity is impossible to achieve apart from the humility that is necessary for it to be in existence. Um, pride, just so you know, isn't just something that cometh before the fall. Pride is the great unity killer. It is a relationship divider. Pride divides. Pride says, all I care about is me and mine. And in pride, if, if I bring that to relationship, if I bring that to a church, then I have no room in my life for you and yours or, or us and ours. Um, pride divides. I mean, go to your homes, go to any relationship you have. I bet the last fight that you got into started with someone's pride sticking its nose into your conversation. Eleanor was driving me to, the, uh, to one of those shops yesterday to, to get my car fixed, and she was relaying to me uh, the excitement that she had for what was going to happen with the rest of her day. She was going to an auction uh, just north of here that she had seen online. She loves to go to these places and, and uh, pick up some unique things for our house, and so she saw this dresser. Uh, that she was really excited about. And, and uh, she was just, you know, as a matter of fact, just letting me know, here's how I'm going to get it back. I'm going to take the drawers out, throw it in the back seat of my Honda Accord, and then I'm going to strap the, the body of the dresser into the trunk of my car. And I heard this, and what I should have done is been like, cool, babe, that sounds awesome. Uh, knowing that she's done this on several occasions, not in my presence, but uh, uh, like when she was in Tallahassee with my daughter and helping her move from apartment to apartment. That's how they moved her dresser the last time. They made it just fine. Uh, what I should have said was cool. But what I said was, I'm not going to tell you exactly what I said, but what I, what I said was unkind. Um, I think it came from a good place. I just wanted her to be safe and our dresser that we were going to put money in to be safe. But I, I basically told her her idea was dumb in so many words. Um, she, 
responding to my prideful uh, <laughs> uh, input, uh, dug in a little bit deeper and defended her idea based on the evidence I gave you just previously there. And uh, We kind of went back and forth a little while. Um, uh, we argue loudly, uh, making our points clearly, and then things get uh, really quiet. Does anybody else have those kinds of arguments? And uh, we spent uh, the, 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 the last part of driving to pick up my car in, to, in the car together alone. Yeah. Uh, why does this happen in our relationships? Because uh, someone uh, decides that their way is the best way and the only way. And they uh, say as much and put the other person on the spot. And, uh, and pride pushes people apart. Peter knows uh, this about the churches that he's writing to. He knows that they're facing intense persecution. He knows that churches for uh, hundreds and thousands of years to come would face the same kind uh, of, of pressure um, and that their, their human nature would uh, seek to, to pull them apart. And so he reminds them that humble, unified minds are necessary for, for these churches that he's initially writing to and for any church to remain together in the love that will see them through any circumstance. Now, having addressed the state of their minds, Peter moves on to the condition of their hearts. He, he tells them in a couple different ways to have sympathy for each other and to have a tender heart towards each other. It's not enough to just think right about each other. We need to put our hearts in gear if we're going to love as God would have us love. That's what God loves us with, a, a full heart. Now, uh, basically, if you want to retranslate those, those words, uh, sympathy there is actually the Greek word sympatheo, and it means sympathy. And I looked up sympathy, and it basically is this idea of caring, apart from being able to personally relate to someone who's experiencing a hurt. It's key statements are things like this. I think I know how you feel, and I am truly sorry for you feeling that way. But Peter adds a second word that I can't pronounce. It's a Greek word, trust me. But it's a word that pushes us past just simple sympathy into the realm of what we know as empathy, of compassion. Uh, and, and empathy is different from sympathy, where, where sympathy says, I think I know how you feel. Empathy says, I, I totally feel the way you feel. Or, or sympathy says, I'm so sorry that you're feeling the way you're feeling. Empathy says, I'm not just sorry for how you feel. I want to help you not feel that in any way that I can. Paul writes about this, uh, this idea of empathy, when he writes this in Romans chapter 12, he says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Go beyond just being able to identify that someone's happy or that someone's sad. Join them in those emotions. This is what it is to have compassion. Uh, we read compassion as, a, as an oft-used descriptor of our Savior Jesus Christ. It says what, that when he saw the crowds in one section of Scripture, he had compassion on them. Um, it's his compassionate love for us that led him to leave heaven and take on human form and, and die for a world that had rejected him. It was, it was compassion that caused him to pause on the day that he entered into Jerusalem at the beginning of the week before he was crucified. A day that he would be lauded and applauded uh, by those who followed him. There would be a parade route uh, uh, that he'd walk through. But before he started the parade, does anybody remember what he did? Uh, the shortest verse in scripture tells us uh, what he did. He, he stood on the hill outside of Jerusalem and he surveyed uh, the bustling city at Passover time. And it tells us that Jesus wept. He had compassion 
on those that he saw, a deep love that moved him in the core of his heart. Jesus uh, taught often on this idea of compassion as he commended it to those of us who would follow him. He most notably did this in this parable where he talked about loving one of our, our neighbors. You know, we should love our neighbors. And someone spoke up and said, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus didn't exactly answer that question. He just told a story, a story about a guy who leaves Jerusalem, gets uh, beset upon by some thieves. Uh, uh, they take everything he has, even his clothes, and they leave him there to die. And, and the story goes that a couple clergymen or people associated with the Jewish faith uh, walk down past this man and seeing him, they pass on the other side. But then this one dude, Sam, the Samaritan, a guy who has no religious region, reasons to connect with this person. He has no ethnic reasons. He's not a, a Jew like this man uh, you know, apparently could be. Uh, he, has, he has no uh, benefits coming his way if he stops to help. But because of his compassion, he pauses, throws this man on the back of his, his own uh, uh, animal and, and, and walks him to town, pays for his stay, provides for him, uh, uh, tells the innkeeper anything that he needs, give it to him. He, he's on my dime. What, what, what makes a stranger do that for someone, to act like a neighbor to someone he doesn't know? It's compassion. Jesus wants us to, to live in the church with his heart, for each other. He wants us to have compassion. He wants us to live with his mind for each other, humbly uh, seeking to unify. When we combine our right thinking with our right feelings, we arrive at the body of Christ OS, the operating system that he commends for us. It's called brotherly love. He says, have brotherly love. It's the Greek word philadophos. Uh, Philadelphos, I'm saying that wrong, but uh, uh, it's brotherly love, but, but, but we see it in the, in the body of Christ as, as going beyond just brothers to brothers. It's, it's the family. It's family love. It's the bottom line for every church as it comes together. Uh, we are united by the grace of a common Savior uh, to come together and worship this one true God uh, as we serve him in this commission that he's given us as his church. We, we do all of this in the context of this family love as brothers and sisters in Christ. We love each other with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, and in all of the strength that the Spirit gives us to do so. So as a family, as a church, we should war against the things that would ever split us apart, uh, whether they be racial divides or socioeconomic divides, educational divides, political divides, personal preferences and things like music or dress codes or carpet colors or wearing a mask and not wearing a mask. Uh, we choose as the church harmony over dissonance. We choose to celebrate our differences where they occur. We choose to learn from each other as we pursue this common mission together, all the while holding fast to a shared doctrine. Uh, I play guitar a lot. Here's mine. I'm not gonna sing you any of my favorite songs. I just wanna show you uh, a principle in, in music everywhere, pianos, guitars, uh, anything that is not just a single note instrument. Uh, you place your fingers in certain places to combine a lot of notes together into one, what's called a chord. This is the G chord. <laughs> now the G chord is made up of several different notes. G, I don't know what this one is. I don't know what this one is. Here's another G. I don't know what this one is. And here's another G. 
three G's and a bunch of other notes. That's how the G chord works. You understand that those other notes provide this harmony. They make a, f a fuller sound than just the, the G note by itself. And that's how music works. That's how the church is meant to work. All the different people, all the different experiences, all the different ages and races and, 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 and backgrounds and ideas coming together, rallying around this one cause, this one Christ, this one God and Savior, uh, serving him together, celebrating those differences. Now, we, we want to make sure that we agree on the right things. If we have all of those different representatives uh, functioning from the wrong place, slide up just one fret. Well, we become a, a pretty cacophonous church at that point. We've got to be settled on the doctrines that God has for us. But even though we're different, we can make beautiful music together when we rally around the right things. How do we do that? We seek humble unity, compassionate love wherever possible. When we do disagree, which invariably happens in the church. Anybody notice that? We should disagree in the context, uh, in the comfy confines, in the, in, the, in the nurturing environs of this brotherly love. And we should seek to set things of self aside for the sake of our brothers and sisters and choose to listen humbly uh, in pursuit of unity wherever that's possible. So before we move on with the rest of our text this morning, uh, I want you to join me in praying for our church, for, for you personally, that the humility of Christ might reign in our minds. Let, let's pray for the heart of Christ to replace the hearts that we have uh, by our sin nature, these hearts of stone. And let's pray that his compassion will reign in us and, and, and spill out of us as we seek to serve each other in the world that he loves and gave his life for. I think Paul said it really well as he wrote to the Christians in Ephesus. He said this in chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 1. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and all gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. This is the bottom line for the church, that we stay together in humble, tender love. Now what comes next in the letter? Our, our, well, it's just a single application, at least in, in this portion, uh, of this bottom line way of life. Uh, when it comes to those who rise up against us specifically, whether within the family of God or, or in the world outside the family of God, we are to live by this rule. No paybacks, just blessbacks. I think I made up a phrase there, but... Um, it's what the verse teaches. Read it with me. You'll see. Verse 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. You may have noticed in the world that uh, everybody's living by that, that, that first part of this verse. People are um, returning evil for evil. Uh, they are, when they are reviled or uh, when they're disagreed with online, they, they, they fire back a, uh, an angry text or an angry message uh, of, of back at you to the one who disagreed with them. That's the world's method. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, as Jesus mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount. But uh, Jesus, uh, Paul, Peter here, they all say, that's not how we roll. We aren't, we aren't a payback culture. We aren't a payback uh, uh, people. We are a blessed back people. 
uh, like a good preacher, if you're reading there in First Peter, he, he gives us some scriptural support for his command when he quotes uh, from the, the, the Psalms. He quotes Psalm 34, verses 12 through 14. And his point, before I read the verses, is this. If you want to love life and see good days, if you want to look like the God that you worship, then get busy blessing. If you'd rather take revenge into your own hands, know that that's not what God wants, that he's against that, and that only bad can come from it. Now let's read the verses. You'll see what I'm saying. Uh, This is what Psalm 34 says. For whosoever desires to love life and see good days, then let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and, and instead do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Why? For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, we don't need the Bible to, to make this clear to us, although it does in several ways and in several places. Uh, we just have to look uh, at our own life experiences, at, at human history, and know that this is true. What, what comes of paybacks? I'll tell you, just more paybacks. It's as if the ledger never gets you know, to even. Uh, opponents just continue putting the smack down over and over and over again until finally someone you know, rises above the, the noise and the din and says, hey man, how about forgiveness? How about we seek peace and lay down our grievances? And instead of being a curse to each other, let's bless instead. The anatomy of, of every fight ever, pride. Uh, but then once uh, being offended, seeking to offend in return. I remember one time uh, I was enjoying a, a, a youth trip. I was a, a sophomore in high school. I was riding in the back of a of a school bus heading to a retreat, a winter retreat with my friends. One of my uh, friends sitting there was actually my older sister, Kirsten. And um, uh, we were just joking along and, and laughing and having a good time. My sister uh, is very demonstrative. She went to slap her knee and instead of slapping her knee, she smacked me right in the groin. It was very painful. And instantly, before I even had a second to think, I just swung my fist and I uh, punched my sister in the glasses. We love each other. This is not how we rolled in life. But we're both there wincing from the pain that we've caused each other. And immediately we went from this payback uh, kind of uh, um, scenario uh, into a, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, even as we uh, felt the pain that we had caused each other. Oh, that that could happen more, that the people who are swinging wildly at each other, whether intentionally or in revenge, would just learn to love instead, to seek forgiveness instead, to, to live in unity and humility instead. So before I finish with the last part of this text, I just want to pause one more time. And I want to ask everybody who out there, uh, who's out there who's, who's kind of living as this payback person. Uh, it's been your mode, your method of life to, to get even instead of to forgive. Uh, it's time to repent. It's time to confess that as the evil that it is. It's time to go to the person that you're at odds with and instead of uh, continuing the rift, um, seek forgiveness, seek to bless them instead. Um, Have that conversation this week. Make a plan for it. Move forward uh, in your relationships with people, uh, living out this brotherly love that seeks to understand and seeks to have compassion as God has commanded. So let me close with what Peter closes this section of his letter with uh, as he rounds out this bottom line for us as the church. He basically says this, always be a disciple 
who makes disciples. Uh, look what it says in the second part of verse 14. He says, have no fear of them. Now he's, he's been talking about the church and maybe kind of blending the world with the church as he talks about us not having a, the payback mindset, but the blessed back mindset. But now he's, he's certainly speaking specifically of those outside the church because he refers to them. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, he says, verse 15, honor Christ the Lord as holy. He's basically saying, be a disciple. Be a Jesus first follower of Christ. Put Christ in a, in a position of, of uh, honor and esteem. Honor him as the Lord, as the boss of your life. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy and always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. If honoring Christ as Lord is, is us being a disciple, then, then always being ready to give a defense to anyone who asks us about the hope that we have, that's us living out the Great Commission, being a disciple who's ready to make a disciple, if you haven't heard me say it lately. That, that's our, our hope as a church, our mission as a church. Is to, we, we, we live to glorify God by being disciples who make disciples. And while I'm super concerned with you being the very best Christians that you can be, my hope is that you don't stop there, that you would allow God, even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of the times uh, where, where you wonder how this is going to make a difference, I would, I would pray that you would always be ready as a disciple to give an account of the hope that you've been given as a disciple to those who are yet followers, who have not yet followed Jesus, that they might know him and follow him. I love that Peter does this after spending ample time on love and humble unity and tender compassion, after explaining how these things work in the midst of oppression uh, and suffering, no paybacks, just blessbacks, he gets to the bottom line of the bottom line for churches, uh, to the ones that he originally wrote to and for every church since. Be disciples who make disciples. He says, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Um, we should seek to do our disciple-making uh, with love, with, with gentleness and respect. Uh, but in the end, this is the bottom line of all bottom lines, that all of mankind was created by God and for God. Sin has separated us from him. Through Christ, because of his love and compassion for us, we can receive forgiveness of sin and be restored to God by believing in Christ and in his work on our behalf on the cross. He died so that we might live. Boil everything else down in our book, and that's the bottom line of Scripture, that we were made by God, for God, sin separated us from him, and Jesus, uh, faith in Jesus, brings us back into right relationship with the God who made us. Now, many of us listening today have, by God's grace, made that choice. You've, in a sense, signed your name at the bottom, on the bottom line. And uh, uh, you did so as an indication of your acceptance of what Jesus has offered you in life. <clears throat> but let me remind us that there's way too many Christ followers who don't fully recognize the significance of their scripture. They, they're great receivers. They're great takers from God of the things that he, want to give, he wants to give. But they sometimes, me included, uh, struggle with the things that we are to give God in return for his grace to us. They think uh, that our our, we often can think that our faith is all about us. 
that grace has been extended, extended to us and us alone, that, that uh, we, we've bought into this idea that Jesus died for me and, and because he did, I'm set for eternity and there's nothing more required of this life that I live with him. When I signed that work order yesterday and uh, agreed with the place that was going to put tires on my car, uh, that they would do so, I understood that they would put the tires on and I would receive those tires from them. Uh, but I also understood that my receiving those tires would require something of me. Now, some of you are beginning to bristle at my analogy because, analogy because you know <clears throat> that uh, uh, this saving faith that we have is, is a gift. It's, a, it's by grace that we are saved through faith, and it's, it's not about our works. But I would remind you that James and others like him uh, talk about our lives once we receive Christ. Uh, he tells us that a faith that saves is a faith that ultimately works, that, that bends in the direction of Christ, that seeks to comply and to, and to join him in the things that he esteems for life. It's a faith that understands that Jesus isn't just my Savior, he's my Lord, and my life is his to direct as he pleases. So, we are called to live out this bottom line that Peter's given us here. We as a church seek to bring God, uh, love, uh, brotherly love, family love to God's uh, you know, body, to God's family, a love that keeps us together in humble unity. Uh, we seek to relinquish our worldly rights to pay back those who hurt us, and instead, we choose to bless those who persecute us, uh, that God might bless us in return. And, and we own this. We believe in this. We want to be a part of this with our Savior, that whenever and wherever the opportunity presents itself, uh, we seek to be disciples who make disciples who give an account of the hope that we have in Christ to those who as yet are not partakers in the same grace that we've been given. This is God's bottom line. The question is, is it ours? You know, uh, maybe you've been struggling with some of the things that you uh, have been hearing me talk about today. Uh, maybe uh, you haven't been someone who has been thinking right and loving with a compassionate heart. You haven't been a part of the, the brotherly love that the church is, is meant to live in. Uh, maybe you're someone who's uh, been all about payback and not blessed backs. Maybe you're someone who has uh, skipped out on the opportunities that God has given you in sharing uh, the hope that you have in him. Um, usually at the end of our services when we're live, you can come down and talk to me or Travis or any other pastors, but I want to encourage you. There's people online right now. You can pray with them. You can uh, hear encouragements from them. You can email me at msaunders at baylife.org. I'd love to interact with you uh, because I really believe that in this season, even as we head back to live services, even as we continue to walk through this pandemic, God has so much that he wants to teach us, so much that he wants to do through us. Uh, I just don't want us to miss any of that just because we're uh, online only or not in each other's presence. So take advantage of these opportunities. If God's dealing with you today, if God's shown you that things need to change, talk with someone online, call us, email us. We'd love to talk with you so that together we can share in God's bottom line. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your grace to us, for the chance to talk through another section of the book that you've provided us. Thanks for uh, revealing to us your bottom line, uh, for giving us Jesus and, and pointing us to him to be saved, to, uh, for revealing that you know he is our way and our truth and the giver of our lives and 
and, and we should follow him. I pray that we who uh, call on his name by faith, we who have been saved by his grace, um, would seek to follow him in the things that he commends for us. Uh, may we come to the lives that we live, to the world that we live in, and be a solution uh, uh, that they see, uh, uh, that they might ask us about the hope that's in us, that they might uh, want to align with us um, and walk with us towards you. Uh, Lord, um, continue to provide for those who are sick and uh, make them well. Provide for us who are struggling. Uh, give us peace. Uh, uh, Lord, where there's brokenness in our homes, uh, heal and uh, restore. Uh, you are a good, good Father. We love you. We pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Well, that's all our time today. Tom's got a few more announcements for you. Thanks for joining us. Be paying attention to your emails. More information is coming about when we'll be reconvening here for live services. But until then, until I see you next time, God bless you. Peace.